This is the A-B Testing 343 Podcast, a podcast where we ask one of the three listeners of the A-B Testing Podcast three questions about almost anything. ABT 343 is a fun slice of what's going on in the world of modern testing. Let's get started. Welcome once again to the ABT 343 Podcast. Uh, this week, uh, the one of the three joining me is none other than Chris Kanst. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Uh, we have crossed paths many times, and I'm glad to have you on the hot seat. So are, are you prepared? Nope. Me neither. All right. We are set. It's just like when Brett and I do it. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think are some of the funnier aspects of it, where you're just trying to figure stuff out. Because in some way, that's just reality, where you're just literally trying to figure stuff out and come up with the best solution to something. Yeah, it works out surprisingly well. And that's the... I'm sure we brought this up once or twice on the podcast. That's how it started. We we would have these interactions and meetings and someone it was Michael Hunter. I don't know where my, he's at Tableau now, if I remember correctly, but he said, you guys should have a podcast and record these conversations. So uh, we did and we still have it, but this is not about Brent. Brent who? I don't know. Today it's the AC testing podcast with Alan and Chris. That's right. And I'm going to throw you a softball to get started. Tell me your story. How did you get into software testing? What was your path from there to here? Yeah. Uh, what was my path? I I know people don't like this term, but I did fall into it. I literally got into testing after college because that was... Uh, I had a friend who worked at a company in Southern California. I was living in the Bay Area at the time. Uh, I wanted to move to Southern California. So I had a friend who got me an interview at a company and I just sort of ended up in the QA department and uh, worked for a large company. It was AIG. Started there, worked there for a couple years, worked for Countrywide for a couple years. Basically, I went through all the companies. They were big enough companies. People sort of knew what they were doing, but no one could tell me what it is. Like there was very little expertise, it seemed like, in the companies outside of people just had a lot of domain knowledge. So I started working for smaller companies, startups. And as soon as I started working for startups, I had to figure out what it was that I was doing. Because it turns out in traditional test management, which was what those larger companies used, it was a lot easier to sort of just go about your business and do things without it having to contribute value or direct value to the business, right? Like it was big enough organizations, big enough testing organizations that as long as you were doing the same thing that everyone else is doing is sort of assumed that there was value creation. This is part of the reason why I really like the modern testing principles because as soon as I joined my first startup, it was very clear to me when I was providing value and when I wasn't because the company was small enough that the individual impact each person had had some positive or no impact on the business. So there's a little bit of a tangent. I've been in software quality for 15 years, software testing and software quality for 15 years. I've worked for big companies, small companies. I tend to like working for smaller companies, smaller startups. Part of that is just the impact that you have. And the other part is big companies do like to do traditional test management. And I'm just not in favor of that at all. 
but outside of, so I currently work for a company called Bloom Nation, which is in Santa Monica, California. So I am in, in the Los Angeles area. Bloom Nation, if you go to bloomnation.com, is a marketplace for flowers. You can put in your zip code and get connected with local florists to buy flowers. But our big business is that we're a software as a service platform. We actually bring those floral, uh, those florists online, build them an e-commerce site, all that good stuff. And so uh, that's what I do. I'm a senior test automation there, uh, engineer there, which is going to be fun because you talk about making much, uh, hold on a second i'm making a note to make fun of you in a minute go yeah, on go on yeah no Done. it's it's fine it's fine uh that's part of the reason i wanted to do this because i think a lot of the things that you preach against i either sit in that situation or have come up through that situation so it's gonna be good good times uh, <laughs> i'm glad you're preparing yourself <laughs> it's gonna be fun um so uh, in addition, so I've been in software testing and software quality for 15 years. I have been a longtime volunteer and am currently a board member of the Association for Software Testing. I um, run their webinars, help put on the conferences, make decisions at the board level. I do some writing at kents.com and a few other places around the web. I also uh, occasionally speak. So I have actually been speaking about the topic, about how I became a test automation engineer. And I've got some modern testing portions of that uh, influence in, in the presentation I give, we can talk about. That I also um, run a, uh, the, basically the largest site. Uh, it's a community-driven site of software testing conferences from around the world at testingconferences.org. It's an open source project. Anybody can contribute to it. But um, that just grew out of a, aspect that I saw wasn't being covered in the testing community, which was how many software testing conferences and workshops are being run around the world. So that's a little bit about me. That's a whole lot about you. I have more than three questions and I only have two left. I don't know. Prepare yourself for complex multi-part questions, but yes. first a tangent. Okay. Interesting at Bloom Nation uh, and I think it's a great idea to just make it easy for these shops that obviously can't afford a technology department to build up their e-commerce site. It's interesting, one, because it's interesting, but two, because just recently, maybe last week, I met someone virtually. Uh, I met someone who did the same work. I forget the name of the company, but they basically made the same thing for wine companies. Was the company called Drizzly? I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay. It just it made things click. It made me realize why, because I buy and drink a lot of wine, why so many of the sites all felt kind of familiar. I thought, are they owned by the same yeah. parent company? And they're not. They just use the same e-commerce software. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out to be a really big and important business, too. Like, if you think about Amazon just dominating everything from an e-commerce perspective, but still, Amazon's really small in the global terms or, or in the United States like the United States, it's something like $500 billion is done through um, just uh, retail e-commerce or just, just commerce um, retail sales. And Amazon probably does, you know, 50 or a hundred billion of in total. It's so Amazon still has this like really small market share. And so from a perspective of a business, uh, a small mom and pop business, being able to go online, even if that's not your forte and your expertise that could have huge impacts on your overall business, wh whether you're like an alcohol, like a, a liquor store or a pizza shop or a florist. Yeah, you know, especially now, right? 
especially now, especially now. Everything, yeah. Interesting times we live in. Uh, before we get on, this is, doesn't count as one of my questions, but how is it going for you in uh, California or just in general with dealing with the the new scenarios of life we have right now? So I'm I'm doing okay. My wife is a nurse, so that aspect of it is incredibly complex because she has to deal with COVID patients. Yes. So that's that's where the stress comes from. But I used to work from home um, by choice, and now I work from home not by choice. So uh, <laughs> that it's fine. It's fine. I keep telling myself it's fine. Uh, we don't go out too much. We do a lot more cooking indoor uh, in at home instead of going out, but. Otherwise, it's it's fine. Well, get, give your, give it. your wife a huge uh, round of thanks from me because that's a that's a the thankless th- job. That, 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 well, hopefully not thankless entirely, but that's a such an important job right now. That's uh, I can imagine that could bring some stress. Yep, a little bit. Okay, now let's bring you some stress. Why is a test automation engineer important? What do you do to convince me that that has anything to do with modern testing? Go. Yeah. So I had, like I said, I've been doing this talk about how I became one. And so um, the story that I like to tell is that I had been just a QA engineer for the longest time, senior QA engineer, whatever you want to call it. And in that role, I did a lot of exploratory testing and then I did some automation. And now my breakdown of exploratory to automation, it varies uh, week to week, depending on our releases, but it's like a 60-40 split between automation and, and exploratory testing. And at least in our company for Bloom Nation, we basically have two uh, products that we're working on. We have a new application, which is in React and Node. I have a bunch of r- really good front-end engineers who have built this. Is, it's a Greenfield project. It's been around for like a year, maybe a year and a half. It's really well built. Um, they're very into testability. So they've got you know unit integration level tests. And we just deployed some UI automation using Cypress. Uh, this will get a little bit into the, the modern testing frame of how you like to to sort of, um, I'm basically a coach in that role. So wait, and so wait, you're doing yeah. test automation, and you're you're not using Selenium. Well, I am just not on this particular project. Oh, okay, no, fine, fine. Because <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I actually am. A lot of people have pushed back a lot on Cypress and uh, Test Cafe, which I really like as well. Well, thank and, you, thank you for giving so, them a run. They can, believe it or not, they actually can be a good solution. Yeah, and. I mean, any tool that I use has to just make sense for the particular problem that I'm trying to solve. And so we can discuss that a little bit. But the reason that Cypress made sense was this is a node application. This was an application where I really wanted to give my developers the power to, because they were so uh, test infected is probably a, a well common term, but because they write so much write so many tests themselves from uh, you know using Jest and and to shallow render components and and do all that kind of stuff. It, it makes sense to so basically what we decided is that it made sense to use Cypress. I did the initial deployment of the framework, wrote the first test, and then uh, one of my developers has since gone. And one of the problems that we found when I wrote it was that this it's a, essentially a single page application, but it was just 
it uses some GraphQL and it uses some technologies that made it really hard to just interact with from a UI perspective. And so having gone through and wrote those things, I was able to write a bunch of stories and work with my developer to basically go, listen, can we re-architect this? Can you open up some of the APIs in the underlying system so that we can see what's going on and use some of Cypress's built-in methods to actually work with the node application in order to make the testing better? And so he did that. One of my developer, um, Aaron, he actually went through, basically re-architected and made it so that uh, Cypress could pull in a lot of our like server fetches and that kind of stuff, and then rewrote the test that I did made it a lot more complex, but also made it so that it better fit into the development workflow. And now it's set up such that they can continue writing tests for components and they can use the server, they can use the server data, they can use a lot of fixture data. And basically the test is now, um, you know, in testing terms, we'd call it a lot more glass box where you can actually see the implementation, you're actually relying on the implementation to automate some of the UI. But now it's this really great fit where, and that's what Cypress made a lot of sense to do. Cool. It reminds me a lot of times that's been before I knew I was coaching or consulting. Uh, I thought I was just I thought I was just being lazy. I would write a test, a test, stick it into CI or stick it into the build pipeline, and say, "Okay, now we have a test. Make sure this never fails." It would run, people would ignore it, and then it would run and fail. Go, oh, it's caught a bug. Great. And then once they knew it was there, they would add things to it. Just, I don't have time to write all your tests. I'm just going to make it as easy as I can for you to do the right thing. Yeah, that's the approach that I took with this. And it just sort of fit that it, it worked. Okay, you're, well you're, you're slowly digging yourself out of a hole. Uh, <laughs> but still, a test automation can, engineer. Tell, tell me I more know. about how that relates to modern testing. Well, so... I'm, I'm making a lot of relate? people mad, but I, but I know you have good answers, so go for it. Well, let's let's see if I do have good answers. How does that relate to modern testing? I mean, I have to like look up what the principles are because I don't have uh, them memorized. But oh, that's a prerequisite for be, for being on the three four three show, man. Well, I didn't I didn't pass the quiz you gave me, so um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, so it really, I mean, there's a there's a lot of things about how I approach it that are, and we can talk about modern testing principle like. Um, and so, really, the the sort of the coaching is about just expanding the testing abilities and know how across the team. That's principle seven. And so, while that doesn't necessarily, in my case, reduce the need for a testing specialist, the idea that I can work with my developers just across our applications and I need to, I'm still developing this skill because I I don't know that exactly what a test coach is, but being able to just give them a tool and build it out and then be able to help and coach them as they build out the tests. And by the way, do the code reviews on those tests and contribute. I've actually contributed probably a lot more for code reviews on unit tests and that kind of stuff um, that is actually valuable. But so from a modern testing principle, it's it's really trying to coach them and, and be better about understanding what it is that they're doing and how to test better and build out that functionality, build out that functionality to allow it. All right. I'm, I'm getting convinced. Uh, it, again, because it, it reminds me of probably the first time, it was the first team I was on at Microsoft where we didn't have any dedicated testers. And 
I'm not sure. I was I was given one of my typical jobs where Alan go figure out what to do. And I did a whole bunch of code reviews of unit tests, a, bu- a bunch of code reviews asking people to write tests. And basically, I taught a entire dev organization of about 70 people how to write, how to do testing, just almost all through code reviews. So definitely a good way to consult or coach or help people improve. And then... Yeah, I, I- I really love that because if you, I'm a big proponent of testers doing code reviews or at least participating in code reviews. And one of the first places I tell them to look is if there are unit tests on those code reviews, I naturally gravitate to those because I can see what they're doing. I'm like, oh, cool. You're passing in, you know, a string here. The string is a phone number, but you did it twice. Why are you doing it twice? Shouldn't one be like a crazy, you know, like you can start to apply your testing mindset yes. to that kind of stuff. And testing, uh, testing is the tests written for an application actually reasonably good documentation for that application. Yeah, and that and that's exactly what I did. It's even if you don't know a lot of code, uh, it's like it's like a language. You can read it and understand it versus much usually at a much faster rate than you can speak it and be fluent in it. I was going to say it's it's about being um, literate, like code literate, yes. but not actually being able to program. So if you can be code literate, if you can read it and make sense of it and talk to somebody about why they did it, there's a huge opportunity. Yeah. So my, uh, in a nutshell, is you start with where are the tests, then they add them. And then you ask questions like, should we test this? Or what else should we test? Or let's try. So you can sound like a genius just by saying things like, hey, let's just test one thing per test. Or... Hey, let's try some invalid values here and see if we're handling handling errors. Oh yeah, wow, great idea. So it's a yeah, we're we're fully in alignment there. And so I will say that this works really well for that new node application. And then it's like a whole other world. And we can talk about a little bit more why I think test automation engineers are necessary. I live in this like two different worlds where the node application where I have my developers. Um, and we're doing all these things. I'm doing the code reviews. They're adding unit tests and all that kind of stuff. And then we have our older monolithic PHP and Magento application where almost none of the same stuff applies. I need to dive <laughs> in on one of those things you okay. said. Why yeah. will we always, because I disagree. So we're going to have it. Okay. We're going to discuss this tangent or tangentception or something's going on here. Why do we always, why would we always need test automation engineers? I can't speak of why we would need them other than I can tell you why I'm needed currently. Okay. That, that may be better because yeah. that makes um, sense. The ge- the generality yeah. doesn't, but I, but tell me about the context. What's going on? Yeah, it, exactly. So context matters. And so when people like you harp on this and I'm like, I can't answer this as a global question. And even when I give my talk, I can't answer it as a global question, but as a specific question. So we have, Outside of our React application, our main application, our main e-commerce platform is on PHP and Magento. And we have uh, platform engineers, PHP developers, uh, who I have in um, that work on site with us, uh, just regular employees, great developers. They write unit tests. They write integration tests. I do some writing of integration tests. I tried to write some PHP unit tests for Magento. I spent like two weeks and wrote 10 of them. It was this very frustrating process for me. But we have um, a bunch of contractors that we use as well. And so in that world, they're not very good at writing unit tests. Um, My developers 
on site for platform engineers. They ask for unit tests. They rarely get them. My CTO is, um, although he came up from the development side, he's not a big proponent. Like he would rather have no unit tests and a feature delivered than a feature delivered with unit tests. And so a part of that comes that doesn't have an impact on my node developers because they are a lot more test infected. But when it comes to this particular application and our development process and workflow, there's not as big of an emphasis on it. And if we can skip it, then we skip it. And so I was actually hired to be a test automation engineer to actually write a UI, build a UI framework, deploy it for the Magento e-commerce stuff as a safeguard against some of this stuff. And so e-commerce, it actually makes a lot of sense to have UI tests. You literally want to go through and make sure you can collect people's money. So I have a limited set of targeted UI tests that go through and make sure we collect people's money. I have some targeted UI tests that are around SEO and making sure that we have the specific tags and kind of things that we need. But in that world where you literally can't, if you think of the test automation pyramid and, and the model that it implies where you have lots of unit tests and you catch bugs there and you have lots of integration tests and you catch things there and you have a smaller set of UI tests, we do have that smaller set of UI tests, but we really, we're growing the integration tests as well, but the unit test coverage is just, just lacking. And so that needs sort of by definition, a lot more love from somebody who is not the developer themselves. You had me till that yeah. last part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 I, I, I can like, tell you kind of regretted saying it as soon as it came I, out of your mouth. That's not it's not the way I meant to say it. In that, <laughs> like, so in with my node developers, like I can build something for them and say, here you go. This is completely integrated because everything has basically been built in a way that it makes sense that I can that we can include this as an organic met, like part of the process. And with the Magento PHP application, it's not organic at all. So whereas, um, I'm gonna use some testing terms here, but so as with the Node application where the UI tests are actually more glass box, the Magento UI tests are fully black box. They have no idea what the code is, the underlying code is. They're literally just going through the business, the logic and, and checking out and doing those kinds of things. And so because of that, and this all really stems from the development process that's around it. Because of the development process where there isn't so much of a way to tie everything in or even a desire to tie everything in, that's, that's the particular part of the particular problem that I solve. Okay, that makes sense. I, I do. It sounds like you are doing a reasonable job of accelerating the achievement of shippable quality. I'm trying not to be a bottleneck is what I'm there and, you go. and accelerate. There you yeah. use the right words. And <laughs> at your company and in your role, you've you have a specialization, sounds like you have influence. It sounds it's really you could be and here's what I think it's the semantics that are going to change in the future. What the company like yours needs is they need someone with your ex they need someone with your expertise. Someone actually they need whether you called yourself a tester or a developer who happened to have a specialization in test automation, you'd be doing the same thing. And I think at, I would be willing to bet that at companies that 
perhaps make a similar thing without someone they call a dedicated testing or test automation specialist that a developer has picked up most of the same tasks that you are doing now. I think given your background, you have some more experience and expertise to make it work right now, but I think it's semantics. I do want to go back on one thing and underline the test automation pyramid slash triangle for those who must make the argument. A lot of people look at the, they see the, almost everyone's seen the picture, but few people have read the accompanying article where Mike Cohn says that for that top level, just write as few of these as possible or a few of of these as needed. And in your case, the money flow, not only is that necessary to make sure you take people's money, I would argue that that's a test that needs to run in production and fire an alert if it fails. That's one of the goals that I have is to eventually be able to do that. Um, Right now we rely. So like the upside for us is that we have regular, I mean, so we use data, we use a bit of data, we don't use it as extensively perhaps as we could, but we do have a lot of monitoring in place. And at least for the um, e-commerce flows, I mean, we have people going through that every few minutes. It is funny though, New Relic has an application, they pitched it to us. Uh, We use New Relic for our application monitoring and they have other applications that they sell as a part of their solution. And one of them is literally oh yeah, if you can write some JavaScript, you we can constantly go through your checkout flow and tell you when things don't work. And I was like, are you guys just using Selenium? And they're like, oh yes, we are. And I was like, okay, so we're not going to pay you for that because I can do that on my own. Um, <laughs> no. But it was one of those things where you're like, we can just keep going through your checkout flow and then alert you when things happen. I'm like, yeah, so can we. Like, that's not a, it's not a big deal. But we just haven't done yeah, it. But now, we haven't done it yet. You have yeah. to put yourself in a without your experience, someone else may go, Oh, that sounds amazing. Do your magic for us. Yeah, but everything has to be so like the way I approach it is, and I'm very specific when I say we have a set of targeted UI tests. And what that means is, and we like you guys harp on this, I harp on this too. You don't want hundreds and hundreds of these things. You don't want to just always be creating them because then you are one, not improving the business, right? You're creating a, um, a mess of maintenance. One of the things that I like about my current infrastructure is like, I don't have to maintain stuff very much. I use, so I use WebDriver IO. That's a JavaScript version of Selenium. Um, I've had to do a lot more maintenance recently because they upgraded to version five and then just came out with version six. So I'm, I'm scrambling to upgrade, but outside of that, I can basically just walk away and my tests work for the longest periods of time and I don't have to typically worry about it. So I'm trying not to create more work for myself so that I can go and do other work. That to me is very modern tester. Yep, I can't can't argue with that. I wanna change the subject for one last question because I think there'll be some dives here too. I have, you have helped change my feelings toward AST, the Association of Software Testing, over the years. So can you talk about how you got involved there, uh, if or how you've seen the organization change? Just catch me up. Tell me about what's going on with you and AST and just do that. Tell me tell me about... Just do that. Just, just, yeah. I, 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 won't, I, I, I won't get into the uh, the 
my deeper questions yet. So let's just start with. Yeah, and we should have those deeper questions because we're going to so get I there. Up, we're going to get yeah, there. We're going to get there. <laughs> so I, I found the AST because I was I started working for a small startup. I was I had just done my first testing conference, which was Star West. And the reason that was important was because I live in Los Angeles and that is down in Anaheim next to Disneyland. Um, and uh, that was groundbreaking because I got to meet other testers, see how other people did things. And then all of a sudden, like it didn't necessarily make, I, I very quickly came to the realization that I knew nothing about the thing that I was doing and had been doing for several years. So I went looking for other ways to learn and I came across the BBST courses that AST teaches. Um, those are created by Kem Kaner. He gave those out. That's all free open source. So if you go to testingeducation.org, that is a lot of the BBST material that the AST uses. And I took all the courses. The courses are crazy in depth. They're all university level. You can't memorize stuff. You, it's not just like you go through a MOOC and you answer a bunch of true and false questions. In order to pass the class, you have to work with people from all over the world on projects in a sort of in a pretty realistic way, except in a very um, distributed way where sometimes people don't participate at all and you're left doing all the work for them. And then in order to pass a class, you have to take essay questions and answer them in a way that shows that you understand the questions. And so that was such a huge challenge that courses required 10 to 15 hours per week, which is crazy to do when you're working full time. But I ended up doing those. I ended up learning so much that by the end, I went back and looked at the first course that I took. And I was like, how did I ever pass this class? I'm stupid and terrible. Like I didn't understand how to answer questions. And then I eventually was like, this is great. I want to start teaching this. I started teaching that. I've probably been teaching with them for over 10 years. So I'm, I'm an instructor. I help teach the courses. I'm actually, now that I'm on the board of the AST, I'm actually going back and updating all those materials as we speak to try and make them more modern, make them easier to read. And so um, my, and the AST was founded by a lot of testing luminaries, James Bach, Cam Kaner, uh, Doug Hoffman, like all these people that have these deep roots within testing and specifically context-driven testing. And um, I think that obviously has influenced the way that I understand testing, but um, I also just find it just hugely historic and, and rich in a lot of um, testing knowledge and, and, and that kind of stuff. And I've had the chance to teach alongside Kem Kaner. I've had the chance to teach along James Bach. Um, but of course the AST is different now and Kem Kaner is retired. We've had conversations within the AB testing, uh, Slack channel about everyone's experiences. And, you know, these are individual people, they're flawed people. People don't get along with everyone. In fact, you know, James Bach is, is, uh, you know, very controversial. Like that's an understatement. Rapid, yeah. Yeah. His rapid software testing stuff. Like I don't agree with some of the stuff that they do. Like I'm not a fan of testing versus checking. But that's okay because I know when it's useful and I know when it's not, and I can navigate those things. And so as a part of AST, the reason that I became a board member and the reason that I do these webinars, which thank both you and Brent, you guys both did great webinars. Um, I'm trying to 
make sure that people that are in context driven driven testing or not that they have just this wide range and understandings and really i like to highlight the disagreements because the disagreements are real these are real things that we all live in you don't have to live and die by them but you should be aware of them and the the pitches and the things that people are talking about yeah let me let me dive in a little bit deeper your involvement in AST has helped me change my opinion. When AST was first formed, I joined. I thought it was a good thing. And then both Kim Kaner and, and Kaner, I, I think I told the story. I, I won't tell it now, but if you go back on one of the podcasts, I'll tell the story about how I really pissed off Kim Kaner for doing literally nothing. Whatever doesn't matter moving on and Bach and I have sort of a James Bach and I have sort of a truce going now but I would just push back on him just trying to be a, a jerk sometimes and and we we kind of made up we just kind of stay out of each other's paths but those guys have moved on You're like it's the people on the board now uh, are like you like Ilari's on there if I remember right and Eric uh, there's some you can see it's changing with the times and I really flip the bit back on the good side uh, permanently. Was it last year you had charity majors as your keynote? Yeah, we did. And that's, you know, that's, that's having someone who's big on observability, which is some of the basis of being able to test in production or being able to trust production to understand what's going on. No, it doesn't mean the users are doing all your testing, but that was, to me, that was like, Oh, they are caught up to the 21st century. Thank you. AST. So it's it's good to see that happening. And the courses are good. I've had uh, employees at Unity take some of the BBST courses. I have another one might be taking uh, another one coming up here. They're ridiculously affordable, I think. I think it's like yes. $300 for a class. Yeah. So the, the upside and downside of the AST is it's all run by volunteers, right? So everyone on the board is a volunteer everyone teaching those classes as a volunteer that has upsides and downsides. One of the upsides is it's incredibly affordable. Um, even we actually, they're very global. Um, I, I haven't taught a course that's been majority U S in eight years. Right. Uh, they're just everyone from all over the world that do them. They're really affordable, but they're also taught by volunteers. So like, you you know set your expectations um, around those lines. Literally, everyone that is teaching and taking the courses, they all have full time jobs. They're all doing that. But that's just that's the the value, and and it speaks a lot of it speaks volumes about people that that do this kind of stuff. Um, they're doing it because they really really love it. And I will make sure I include links to. I wish it was ast.org, but that's actually some other company's website. It's associationforsoftwaretesting.org. Find- <laughs> yeah, it's it's way too long of a name. We've tried to buy it. It's too generic. Um, but yeah, and so I will say too that the AST is trying to keep up with the Ministry of Test and, and a lot of these, and to a large degree, it's a lot of the AST is actually trying to figure out what we do now. Back when you joined, the AST was sort of the one group trying to do this kind of stuff. And again, when you're dealing with just volunteers um, who are, spending their nights and weekends trying to do this kind of stuff, like you only get so far and trying to pull yourself out of the, just the debates and that like, you need to push people out who aren't doing uh, the thing you think is right has 
basically passed. And now we're trying to usher in this, this new idea of like, where does the AST provide value outside of education? Um, and so if you have any ideas, if you want to help out, please, by all means, I'm, I'm all ears. Or if you have a great idea for a webinar, I'm all ears on that too. Yeah, I'm gonna. One of the things, because I think this uh, COVID thing is gonna go on for a little while longer, is I'm gonna try and do some more webinars. Uh, if you have anything you want me to talk about, just let me know. I'll do one. I will. I will. I'll keep that in mind. I, I think that I don't have to travel that way, and yeah, I think it's people just need it now more than ever. There's fewer conferences going on, so uh, sign me up if anything comes up. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, Try, trying can, to think of, of of random lame things I can live stream. So far, so far, my funny. list is short. I mean, it's it's all kind of funny too because so like I think test coaching. Um, we talked a little bit about this. Test coaching is this very sort of abstract thing that I still don't know what it is. And so when we did the webinar, when you were talking about, um, I forget the uh, abuse and misuse of test automation. One of the things that struck me that we've already talked about was like, how do you how do you help coach? And we sort of did talk about a little bit where you like start with unit tests, ask people what tests they're writing. I think those approaches are probably really valuable and very specific enough that people can get started. And I don't think people talk about that enough. Um, and so I'd like to see more stuff on test coaching just personally so that I can get a better idea of, am I already doing this? Is this what test coaching is about? Can I do more? There's all, all kinds of stuff. I will say too, that I've done a couple of lightning talks around the modern testing principles. And even at CAST last year, there were just you know 50% or more of the audience knew what or had heard of the modern testing principles. And so it's my favorite part about this is that it's, showing people that this is what the current state is um, and how people can look at that and go, that doesn't, like, we're not even close to that yet. And does that mean that you're just in a development process that's 20 years old? Um, and so maybe. I, I think those are maybe those things are all. And so that's, that's really informative um, because as somebody, when you go and do these courses, you start searching the web and you're trying to learn about what is the current state of something, it is hard to really get definitive answers on that kind of stuff. Even if they're wrong, these are models, right? The principles are models for about how this thing looks according to the people talking about it. And so then you can start to break that down and apply and see where it applies and where it doesn't. Yeah, I uh, yes, 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 and yes. One quick thought I had, then we better close here, is... I think test coaching is such a new thing. And it's people like Rob Meany and Anne-Marie Charrett and others who are talking about it. But right now, I think if you ask 10 different people what test coaching was, they would give you 11 different answers. So I think it's it's emerging. And it makes me think I need to figure out, and maybe this is a, a webinar or a me just hosting a chat session sometime, a sync or a series of syncs, It'd be good to hash it out and start to define what that is, because I think it's a lot of different things, and some of it's more consulting than coaching, but when do we do one versus the other? 
I, I think you it's and Brent a, had this. I think it's yeah, growing. You and Brent had this conversation. We did. And like, I'm I'm not even sure I remember what the difference was. That's how subtle it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get into that another time. But it was fantastic uh, hearing what's going on. I no longer hate all test automation engineers. I get what you're doing. Oh, good. And so, so that that was that was a success. And I love to hear what's going on with AST. I think I'm, uh, like I said, my my opinion grows and grows, and it's a solid organization. So glad to see you involved there and making such a difference. So, and of course, most of all, thank you for hanging out with me for a little while today and being on the ABT343 podcast. Thank you very much for the opportunity. All right. Great talking with you, and we'll see you later. Have a good one. Bye.